My problem started when I started reading the Bible. And not just books or commentaries or small devotionals about the Bible, but I mean the old school paper Bible. And those of you who've grown up with digital Bibles, man, you're lucky because you get to just open up your app and see the list or type in like H-A-B and get Habakkuk. But when my pastor would say, okay, turn in the book to, to, to turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk. And I'm like, oh my goodness, where's that? And you're kind of hoping that when you open it, it just magically lands to that. You're like, come on, Jesus, this is the moment, show up. So my problem started though, when I began reading the Bible, because what I began reading in scripture while comparing that to what happened in the church, well, let's just say that what was happening in the church paled in comparison to what I was reading in scripture, like night and day different. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, the church that I grew up in, they, they were a good church and many, many churches are good churches and they have great intentions. But as a kid, as a young adult, even as an adult sometimes, so much of it goes over your head. Or I would feel bored, I would feel disconnected. That's why I would try and sneak in my Game Boy. <laughs> and it just felt embarrassingly safe. It was like we just wanted that feel good message and kind of have our shoulders rubbed and then go out and be encouraged to live another safe week that's comfortable. But when I read about Jesus in scripture, nothing was safe about the Son of God. Like this guy, Jesus, touched lepers, he befriended prostitutes, he enlisted tax collectors as part of his discipleship team. Like even today, that, that would be frowned upon. And I would look around at some of the people in the church I grew up going to, and again, they had great hearts, but I don't know, there was a narrow-mindedness at times. You can see people being judgmental or hypocritical but when I looked at Jesus, he loved those who hated him and he blessed those who persecuted him and he, he welcomed everybody, even those that religion rejected. He welcomed them to his table and into his presence. So my problem started when I started reading the Bible because what I saw in the church paled in comparison to what I was reading in scripture. So in 2017, a small group of us here in Binbrook had a goal to start a Jesus honoring church, a church where everyone would be welcomed and accepted, where everyone would be needed and everyone would be changed. So we had a mission and it was simple, it was clear, it was to make Jesus known so that lives and communities were transformed. But then just last year as we were kind of praying and discerning next steps as a church and moving to this location and changing from a Saturday to a Sunday morning service time, God just put it on my heart that this mission statement wasn't enough. Like to make Jesus known, that's great. A lot of my neighbors already know Jesus. They use him as a swear word. <laughs> but I just really felt that it was time to actually help people take their next step to Jesus. So that's why we, we shifted our mission and it's to help people take their next step toward Jesus together. And I love that we added in that last part together because we're talking about we are the church. It's not a me and Jesus thing. You are not the church by yourself. We are the church when we come together to worship. So the title of today's message is Three Mindsets for a Better Year. And this isn't just personally, but again, this is corporately. This is three church mindsets to have a better year. And as we are going into our sixth year 
of, or we are in our sixth year of ministry as the Well Community Church. I'm ready for the, the Holy Spirit to unleash, to pour out upon us, and to just burst the doors off this place with what God wants to do in our community, in and through his church. So would you pray with me? God, thank you that Jesus said he would build his church. We acknowledge, God, that this is your church for your glory. God, would you strengthen your church that it would be Jesus-honoring in every way. Empower us, God, to be your light in a very dark world and use your people, your church, to help others take their next step toward you, to become fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus. And it's in, in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. So we're going to be in Acts 2 today, and what I want to do is I want to give you some context for Acts 2. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Unfortunately, we don't have the Pew Bibles, but I will have the Scripture up on the screen as well. But this is after Jesus had given his life on the cross, what we just celebrated last weekend. So this is after Jesus gave his life on the cross, and God raised him from the dead, defeating death, hell, the grave, the greatest news in the history of the world. And this guy, Peter in Acts 2 is a lot like the rest of us. He was a bit of a screw-up. He, he got his life changed by Jesus, was forgiven by Jesus, and he was preaching about repentance and grace. And when Peter preached the gospel one day, 3,000 people were saved. Like, what? Like, that's what dreams are made of. This was like the first megachurch in Scripture. And at the very beginning, we see what this group of New Testament believers did as the church. So I'm going to show you in Scripture. Acts 2 tells us this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. They were devoted to Jesus and the things of Jesus, the teaching, the prayer, the fellowship, remembering the way of Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross. And everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And this is mind-blowing. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Like I said, my problem started when I started reading scripture because what I saw in scripture and what I saw in the church paled in comparison. So I'll show you a version of what we often see in the church. And I'm gonna read that text again from a version we'll call the MDV version, which stands for the modern day version, which is just a completely made up version, but hopefully highlights the tension we see today. They were devoted to their comfort, happiness, personal goals, dreams, and bucket lists. No one really noticed the Christians because they focused on themselves. Very few of the believers were together. And when they were, they fought about stupid things. If they sold anything, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They claimed to love God, but they didn't even love each other. So they felt empty, alone, and depressed. 
As a result, most people disliked them and very few lives were changed. It stings. I'm guilty of it. I've been part of it and I've witnessed it. There's churches I've been part of that complain about coffee being on the carpet. Uh, churches that the, the, the one was, they were complaining about too many baptisms because the hot water bill was going up. I'm like, what? <laughs> but obviously God has something way, way better for his church. And so as we are in our sixth year as a church, as the Well Community Church, if we want a different type of year, a different type of church, if we want different results, I would suggest that we need a different mindset about our own role and what we are here to do and who we are to be in the church. So I wanna give you three mindset changes for our church coming from Acts chapter two. And the first one is in incredibly and indescribably important. Number one, what are we going to be? We will be an intensely devoted church, helping people take their next step toward Jesus. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the things of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And one of the most important words in all of the New Testament, in my opinion, is the word translated as devoted. It's the Greek word pros katereo or proskaterio to make it more Canadian and modern. And it's not easy to say, but this word, I'll tell you what it means. It means to live in a constant state of relentless pursuit. It's a persistent, ongoing, obstinate devotion. That's what these disciples were to Jesus and the things of Jesus. It was this constant, relentless pursuit, this ongoing, obstinate devotion and the reality is all of us, we've got our own proscatario, right? We all do. We all have our ongoing obsessions. Now that the weather's nicer, mine starts drifting toward golf again. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> For a lot of people, it's their kids because, well, our kids are pretty important. We had them, so I guess we better take care of them and love them. But they take so much time. They keep us so busy. For others, it's our career. We want to become successful. Some, it's a hobby. It, the big one used to be CrossFit. Nowadays, it's pickleball. I don't get it, but I haven't tried it. For some, it's their dream vacation, a certain amount of money in the bank, financial success, get a bigger house, or maybe even just getting a house at all. Whatever it is that's taking up the majority share of your heart, your affection, your devotion, that's your proscatario. And there are far too many people today who would call themselves followers of Christ who have more of a casual or comfortable approach to Jesus. And might be what we could call cultural or casual Christians, not this fully devoted, sold out. Like these first century believers were sold out. They were all in. They were fully devoted followers of Christ. And if you want to go explore more on this, I have to recommend a book to you. It's called Selling Water by the River. It's a book about the life of Jesus and the religion that gets in the way. It's by Shane Hips, phenomenal book. And pretty much the premise goes is that Jesus is the river and he's telling us, inviting us, calling us to jump in. But we're satisfied with just buying some bottled water on the shore because it's comfortable, it's containable, it's controllable. And we're like, we're satisfied enough. But do you know what I've learned from my lifetime of following Jesus? 
I have to stop focusing on myself and the things of this world. And I have to devote myself wholeheartedly to Jesus. And every time I jump in with both feet, I am never disappointed. I am blown away. And it, it makes me embarrassed to look back and be like, how do I ever second guess it when the opportunity comes later? We're just naturally wanting to seek that comfort. But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna show you a better way. I'm gonna give you life and life to the full. So you wanna have a better year? We will be intensely devoted to the things that matter most. Devoted, not casual, comfortable Christianity, but a full-on devotion to the God who loved us so much that he sent his son. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, we will be an intensely devoted church. Number two, we will be a radically generous church. In every way that we possibly can, my desire is for us to be radically generous, to be known for our generosity. And if you remember the early portion of the text that we, we read, we saw that they sold their possessions. It's crazy. And they gave to anyone who had need. But I want you to see what happened two chapters later in Acts 4, 33 and 34, it says, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. There was no one in need because the church was so radically generous and engaged in the lives of people. There were no need for government programs because at the time the government was actually stepping on them, abusing them, taking from people. But the church was meeting the needs of people. So we will be a radically generous church. Our sponsor church, Gateway, they've led the way on this. And they've helped me learn this and build my heart around this type of generosity. When they began, they made a choice that they would not ask for anything from the community, but rather they wanted to give to the community. They wanted to be a blessing to those that are surrounding them. So when there are needs, they go to the church community. They go to the church and they say, here's the need. How can we come together and meet it? So last year in Caledonia, there was a church that was broken into. And right away, Gateway gave them $4,000. And they said, okay, here, let's help you get fixed up and replacing some of the equipment. Then they put out the need to their congregation. And another $12,000 came in that they gave to another church in the community. It just blows me away. And then we got broken into this year. And right away, they said, here's $6,000. And they said, start getting some of the stuff that uh, was taken. Now, I noticed you guys haven't done the whole Bren series, the church planning director. You haven't done the whole offering for us just yet, but <laughs> I'm, I'm just teasing. But no, like, it's amazing. So this year in our budget, they have been our sponsor church, but the way church plants work is we're supposed to move towards self-sustainability and they're supposed to scale back and kind of like a parent usher us out and let us spread our wings and fly. With COVID, it's been a challenge. So this year, as we're making all these new changes, I said, rather than scaling back your support to the 10,000, which we were kind of on track for, what if you increased your support to 20,000? And right away, their board said, absolutely, we're behind you. And it's that type of generosity that just blows me away. But what's crazy is they actually tell me, and Bren's told me this story, is that their generosity, when they give away, actually comes back to them 
and they see growth in their church and in their resources that they're able to give and bless more because like we all know, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So church, everyone that gives makes this type of stuff possible. We love you, we thank you. And it's because of your radical generosity that we can be a blessing to our community and to our world. And what I continue to discover is you cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. And that's why when we started as a new venture, which we still are, we're a developing church, moving toward uh, sustainability and independence. But at the very beginning, we chose to be a blessing to others. We wanted to take the same posture that Gateway has, to not ask the community for things so that we can survive, but rather to be a blessing so that we can help and support those around us. So we got involved in community events and initiatives like the Santa Claus parade and the tree lighting. And now that these things are starting back up, I'd love to get our church back out in the community doing and helping with some of these things. We set goals for our district ministry fund and our global advance to support ministries happening in our area, to support ministries happening around the world. Our guest speakers and musicians, we keep trying to up the honorariums to, to honor them for coming in and, and helping us and supporting us. And one thing that's amazing too with generosity is Eugene, whenever he speaks for us, he actually says, until the church can afford it, I'm not gonna take an honorarium because I know I just wanna be a blessing to the community. Church, we operate out of a theology of abundance, not of scarcity. God will provide, and I want us to be known for our radical generosity. And it's all for the glory of God. All glory goes to him. You cannot outgive God. So let us lead the way with radical generosity because it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not a game. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we will be an intensely devoted church. We'll be radically generous. And we will always unapologetically share the love of Jesus in everything we do. You see it in the book of Acts when the believers had this proscatario, this radical devotion to Jesus and his word. Scripture says the most amazing thing. When they were completely devoted to the work of God in the church, as the church, the Lord added to their number daily. What would happen if we were part of a church where people were being saved from their old lives of sin daily? In one week, that would be seven people. In a year, 365. I was quite the math whiz growing up. <laughs> but say that happened from the very beginning, October 28th, 2017, when we had our first formal service. That was 1,996 days ago. Imagine what Binbrook would look like if 1,996 people devoted their life to Christ. Like, we would feel it in this community. Things would be moving and shaking. And you might think, but that doesn't happen anymore. We're reading a text from thousands of years ago. But let me tell you that it actually does. The church that I've been going to and leaning on for some mentoring and to help shape some of my thoughts and uh, how I develop sermons, I've referenced them several times, Life Church, that's based out of Oklahoma with Pastor Craig Rochelle. He shares a story that when they launched 26 years ago, they launched out of his garage and they had about 40 people, the size that we are here today. And he said most of them were friends and family. There were a couple people he didn't know. But at the end of his message, 
He just had it on his heart to invite people to accept Jesus, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. And he said, this is gonna be so embarrassing because my family's gonna look at me like, are you nuts? Like, we all know you. Like, but he put out the, the invitation and seven people accepted Christ that day. And he thought the same thing. That's one person for every day. What if we can continue that? And that became his prayers. They started the church. 26 years later, he says that they've never had less than seven people accept Christ. For 26 years. Like, that's unbelievable. And that's why I love their saying. This is straight from their church. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. To reach people no one is reaching, we will do things no one is doing. And that's what I want us to start exploring and discerning as a church is how can we start doing things that no one's doing to reach people that no one's reaching? Because there are people who need Jesus in this community. Church, we have to be faith-filled, big-thinking risk-takers because I don't want to insult God with our small thinking or safe living. I don't want to be one of those churches that we kind of compare ourselves to scripture and we're like, something's missing here. <laughs> I didn't have a clue how we'd even get here when we first started. And most of the time, I don't have a clue how we're going to get to our next step, but I know who does. And I keep seeking him for wisdom and discernment and I'm willing to bet the farm or to place all my eggs in one basket if I have to, if it means reaching more people for Christ. And I know some people say, but I don't want the church too big. Or as my wife recently lovingly told me, she said, remember the first message you ever preached? And I'm like, yeah, it was lost people matter to God. And I, it was on the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15 and where Jesus, the shepherd, leaves the 99 who are safe and goes out searching for the one lost. She, she said, maybe that's your ministry, just one lost sheep. I'm like, oh man, you're always hoping for a little bit more. But it's great if it is, I'm gonna do it with all of my heart. But listen, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. And like I'm telling you, as long as there's one person one person broken, one person suicidal, one person about to give up, one person who can't get free from drugs, one person who's still in bondage to pornography, one person who's living in abuse or trapped in trafficking, one person who doesn't have access to clean drinking water, who has not yet heard the living word of God that Jesus is the son of God who came to seek and to save the lost. We will not stop. We won't stop. So I want to invite you, don't just go to church, but be the church. So what do you do? Well, you change your proscatario. You change the object of your devotion. You take your next step toward Jesus. So here's one very simple challenge. Just as our mission is to help you take the next step toward Jesus, I want to challenge you to devote one thing toward Jesus. Just one thing. And you might be asking what your one thing might be. Well, I'm going to give you some options. You might need to start reading God's word. If you're not reading God's word already, start, pick it up daily. Just start in the gospels. Pick something easy. Pick, pick something you haven't read before. Or open your YouVersion Bible app and even pull out a study. They have three-day devotionals, five-day devotionals. But listen, 
Be careful because when you start reading God's word, it's living, it's active, and it's going to get in you and it will transform you and you won't be the same. Now you also might wanna consider serving in church. And I used to have a hard time with this. I would think, shouldn't we be serving outside in our community? Why, why is the focus always on the church? Well, yes, we should be out in the community sharing the love of Christ with people who don't know God. But listen, everyone has a gift to be used by God. And as we start using and developing our gifts for God as, as the church, as we come together, we will have a greater impact in and on our community. We are the church and you have gifts and your gifts are needed. And if you just passively watch church happen and you don't do something, then there's this unfilled assignment with your name on it. We are the church, the body of Christ. But be careful, because if you start to serve in church, you might start making a difference, and you start seeing the difference. And I'm looking out on so many of you who are serving in so many amazing ways, like the setup team, and hospitality, and, and kids, and the reason we're growing and we're experiencing this is because we're coming together as the body of Christ and things are starting to happen. And I, I'm seeing my kids' lives changed and I'm seeing the leaders' lives changed as they watch the kids transformed. And even Nick and Cal who are helping me with photography and video and Chris on multimedia and stuff too, I've been able to use those on our Google profile. And that seems like, well, that's kind of crazy, but we live in a visual culture. So to be able to put fresh pictures online for our community to say, hey, things are happening there. That looks pretty cool. Like it's us being, coming together to be the church. And then from there, we can go out and live on mission to take the love of Jesus to all corners of the world. Now, you also might start tithing. Oh, we're at life group. You might join a life group. <laughs> Good thing I keep checking. I don't have the monitor behind me. But you might be thinking with life groups, we don't have life groups yet. That's the key word, yet. We don't have them, but they're in the works. I'm working on it so hard. I'm meeting with people and talking with people, and they are very near that we're going to launch them because I feel like we need them. And this is great for people who are also of the mindset like, I don't like the super big church. Great. Help us lead a life church because that's where you're going to connect with a smaller community of similar people. Maybe you have the same hobbies and interests. Maybe it's just that you're in the same stage of life. Maybe it's every week. Maybe it's once a month or three times a year. But be careful because when you join a life group, and you start having accountability in your life and you actually start getting close to someone and caring about people and praying for people, well, then you start like visiting them and stuff and you start hanging out and caring for them and you start doing missions work together. But then all of a sudden you become this little vibrant army for the glory of God. And then you might start tithing, but be careful because your heart will follow where your giving goes. And the more you give, the more you love and the more you get obsessed with the work of God and what he's doing all over the world. I'm always excited. One thing that I've actually started doing, and I wasn't gonna share this, but we've been short in our district ministry giving in our global advance. So with my wife's tithe, Amanda and I, we, we try and, and give toward those things and use hers to top those up. And I'm almost playing like a game with myself to see if we can actually get to meet that goal. And this past month, I think we were like a dollar over. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
But th th there is this exciting part because I know where that money goes to support the different initiatives in our district and around the world to families such as the Howells who are international workers going over to Senegal. But you might even just commit to pray daily. And I mean like to pray, to really intercede and seek God. But be careful again, because when you do, you'll start to see miracles. You'll start to see God on the move. And other people start looking on and say, oh man, we're in awe of what God is doing in that church. And you'll start to fall in love with the church and the work of God in the church, because we are the church. We don't go to church, we are the church. We're not spiritual consumers, that's not what we do. We're spiritual contributors. The church does not exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. The church isn't a building. It's not a place we go. We are the church as we gather together. That's why on that morning that the power was out here and it was freezing cold, we could gather over and have church at Mark and Alicia's place. Because the church isn't defined by the geographical location. All the believers were together and there were no needy people around them. So as we come together as the church, we will be strong enough to meet the majority of needs in our community and make a real difference in the world. I'm just looking at our kids leader coming in as I hear all the footsteps running around. I might need to wrap things up. But Jesus said this, he said, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So who are we? We are the church. But do you believe it? Do you believe that you are the church, that you are part of what God is doing? Listen, if you're, you're the church, that changes everything. We're not just believers. We're not just Christians. We are the church, the body of Christ. So we don't go when we just feel like it, when there's nothing else going on. No, when we are the church, we come together, we're filled, we're empowered, and then we go into all the world. So to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that is at work in you, in us, in the body of Christ, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through generations to come forever and ever we give him praise. So who are we? We are the church of Jesus Christ. So let the church rise. Let's pray. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would empower us like never before to be your church in the world. If you're listening today and thinking, ah, I've been kind of halfway in, I'm kind of more like that second version you read, and I'm convicted, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to be the church, I just invite you to lift your hand now so I can pray for you. Don't sit on the sidelines, just lift them up as you declare, I'm ready to be the church. Father, I, I pray that you would stir up within us a passion to share your gospel in the world. We commit to be devoted to the things that last and honor you. And as you keep praying today with nobody looking around, are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you lost? Are you desperate? Do you feel alone? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel guilty and ashamed in your sin? <laughs> that was me, all those things. And I met Jesus, the sinless son of God who gave his life and God raised him from the dead so I could be forgiven. Scripture tells us that anyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you've done, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, your sins would be forgiven and you would be brand new. 
the power of the gospel is here for you. God loves you. He's ready for you. He's reaching out to you. This is your moment, your day of salvation. You may have been going to church like I was, but you don't know the God of the universe. I just say, step away from your old life. Step toward Jesus. He loves you. He will forgive you. You will become brand new, adopted into his family as his church. So to those who say, yes, I need his forgiveness. Yes, I need his grace. I step in and I say, Jesus, forgive me. I give you my life. I surrender to you. Jesus, I make you first. I give you my life. If that's your prayer, just lift your hand now. Let me pray with you. Yes, Jesus, that's my prayer. I need you. I want to follow you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son who gave his life so I could be free. Jesus, save me. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you. I give all of my life to you. Now, Heavenly Father, empower your church by the power of your Holy Spirit to use their gifts to impact, impart life, hope, freedom, and victory to this world to love the lost, to bring healing to the broken, to bring redemption to a lost world that needs you. Empower us, God, to be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.